And we're studying the laws of meditation. So go to Psalms 1 and 1. Let's review this briefly. So we're going to continue our study into the kind of meditation that causes this word to become part of you. Causes you to become part of it. The kind Jesus said, my word lives, abides in you, and you live and abide in me. You can ask what you will. My word becomes part of you. You become part of it. You become part of me. I become part of you. You can ask what you will, and it shall be done. How many knows there is a place in him? Hallelujah. Well, last Friday night I was talking about three of the greatest, greatest things that ever happened to me was, was one was the first time blind eyes opened. And the second was when two college professors, one taught language and the other speech, and they both wanted to talk to me, and, and I thought it was to correct my grammar, but found out then they wanted to know who taught me how to meditate. And the third great time was when Bernard, who is a professor of journalism, wanted to know who taught me how to write, how to, to capture the thoughts down. And again, I had to say it was the Holy Spirit. Well, the reason these times were so great to me, because Grandpa always told me I, I'd never amount to anything. He'd, when he'd get mad, I guess he'd see my dad in me. He'd say, you're no good. He'd just get so mad. You're no good. You never will be. And you're never going to amount to anything. That got into me. Then I was born again in holiness. And the way they preached about God, I thought he was as mad at me as my dad was when he left us. And come to find out he's good. He's good. He made me righteous and I could run to him with my problems. And then at the same time, at the age of 30, I went full time and discovered praying in the Holy Ghost. I didn't know for a full three to six months that praying in tongues began to be the source of revelation knowledge that started flowing to my, my life. It was during that first year that I lost my mind and picked up the mind of Christ. He began to teach me that I was worth something. I could learn. I could amount to something. And as I kept transforming, I, I kept losing my old man and gaining Christ and losing my old mind and gaining Christ. And seven years later, from the time I went full-time is when I walked into Grace Fellowship and preached my first revival to thousands of people. Tape sales in the first six months topped $25,000 in a month. That was seven years into full-time. A lot of those events, I thought I'd died and went to heaven. See, when you get to know Jesus through praying in the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal him in you, I'll tell you where intense hunger, very intense desire comes from, is when the Holy Ghost is able, because of the freedom you give him, to empower your soul with that new nature. When he starts empowering your soul with that new nature, that's where that intense appetite comes from. And desire comes from to know him. Whether you're lawyer, preacher, prophet, or Indian chief, it doesn't make any difference. When the Holy Ghost takes that new nature and rises up and seizes onto your soul, 
That's where that intense hunger comes from that begins to drive a person. So much prayer in those early days, that transformation process began. But as the years went by, I found certain things that I could do that would assist the Holy Spirit in my transformation process. As he was wanting to transform my whole soul with that new nature. Yet, if I never go to the Word or don't refer to the Word much, then I can make the ministry of the Holy Spirit very difficult, even though I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And some of the first things, very first things he taught me was how to meditate, how to give myself to the Word. And again, my friends, I'm not talking in regard to my own life and ministry, you know, I know I'm called to preach. I know I'm called to handle the Word. I know I'm called to teach the Word. I know that. See, if you think that God is respecting me as far as my meditation goes, as far as my extraction of revelation knowledge from the Word of God's concerned, I can promise you, whether you're apostle, prophet, teacher, governments, Mr. Businessman, you know, or... or our steward ministry, which is helps to call to handle God's money, to make it. Call to make it and steward God's money. I'm not talking about being accountable to a church system with the church money. I'm talking about you turning billions over to the gospel because you're a smart fellow. Smarter than the devil, that's for sure. <laughs> and have that, I don't care what your call is. I'm going to ask you a question. Why am I up here teaching you? I know you have other things to do in this world that takes many of your hours. But why am I up here teaching you? Isn't it because God wants you to know what I know? And wouldn't it stand to reason, my friend, that if I'm teaching you, it's because God wants you to know what I know because he wants you to know what's in the Word. So if he wants you to know what I know... Why would God just limit you to me? I mean, why would he limit you just to one avenue of teaching? Wouldn't God seize upon every opportunity to transform you to the Word? That is the power of the Holy Ghost. He would use him all he could. He would use example. He would use every possible avenue for your transformation. See, there, there's no option on revelation knowledge. There's no corner. I don't have an option. We're to assist your transformation. I'm called to assist it. But I'll tell you right now, God will get revelation knowledge over to you any way he can. I have no corner on this. And in case you're thinking, more well, Brother Roberson, you know, doesn't God favor you? I mean, with, doesn't he give you something on us after all you're called to teach us? No. No, the teaching gift. The teaching gift, my friend, is an anointing to deliver the word. I don't have a corner on the market. Did you know I have no more access to revelation knowledge than you do? As you get in there, God will teach you the same things he taught me. When I'm not called to teach, it doesn't matter. It's part of your transformation. Hallelujah. I don't have a corner. Well, then what's the teaching gift? It's the ability to communicate it. 
that's when that gift comes on me and reaches in and takes a revelation that I've stored up and uses my mind to deliver it. That's where that gift ends. I don't have a corner on the market. This is why he wants me to continually teach you about the things you can do that will cause your transformation. Where you can go in yourself and get it because teachers, we don't have a corner on the market. You can stand before God and receive all that you want from him just because you want to. And I can teach you. And I've been doing it. See, I can teach you how to go enter into the holiest of holies, stand up in the presence of God, square your shoulders, and you and him take a bath in revelation knowledge. No other human being involved. So I can teach you how to do that. When you learn how to extract revelation knowledge from those pages and finally have the revelations of revelation dawn on you, that the mind of God's about to become your mind. That eternity's about to speak to you unchanging thoughts. That the eternal, forever settled word of God in heaven and earth, everything will pass. God makes no mistakes. He didn't make one when he made you. He didn't make one when he made Adam. God makes no mistakes. And what he said, he doesn't have to change. Our job's to find it. And when you start finding and it starts opening up, I'm going to tell you right now, it's the most exciting trip you'll ever go on. You can tell when you're, first, when you're next to something. My God, you can tell when it's going to explode. I can feel it. I've got off enough airplanes in new countries not to know what to expect. And that's how it feels. I can pass through a chapter a hundred times and I don't quite see it. And then the hundredth time. <laughs> you better hope I'm not with you when that happens. Sometimes it happens when I'm riding that yellow pad. Just the first person I see. I seize upon them and make them stand there sometimes for 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm so excited inside, nothing, there isn't anything else that excites me anymore. Miracles and God's mind. You say, Brother Roberskin, can you teach me about that holy place with God? Yes, sir. And it's just scary, you know. It's just scary to know all this is available. And when your transformation takes place from phase to phase, from glory to glory, when it's with God, he adds his power. Because the commission of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus in you through that new nature. And buddy, you're talking about pure power. Hallelujah. Pure fellowship and power. It is the most glorious thing. So let's pass in review just a little bit as we enter in here. Can you teach me how, Brother Roberson? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. We've taught you, have we not, about your righteousness and your rights to enter into the holiest of holies and stand up in the presence of God. 
knowing you have a right to be in there. We taught you your rights about healing. You can go into his presence and know, know that thing doesn't have a right to stay in your body and you got the equipment to run it out with. Know you have rights to stand in his presence and be healed just because you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, I'm telling you that you have a right to go into the same holiest of holies and stand up and square your shoulders. You and him, you and God, you and your teacher, the Holy Ghost. And take a bath in revelation knowledge. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praying in tongues is, a, is a, the most valuable aid to meditation that I know. Because all those mysteries you're praying, according to 14 Corinthians, all those mysteries is the mystery of Christ in you, to you, and through you, the hope of glory. And eventually, those mysteries that you spend those extended times praying, God's going to answer. It's simple as that. It comes in the form of interpretation. He says, he that prophesies speaks to the church. Why? Because the mind of Christ comes, I prophesy it to you. You're edified, comforted, exhorted. Simply because for the now, for the now... I spoke the mind of Christ to you through prophecy. So he says, he that prophesies edifies the church, but he that prays in this unknown tongue edifies himself. And why am I edified? For the same reason that the church is edified. Because the mind of Christ is revealed collectively to the church. But a man that spends any amount of time praying in the Holy Ghost and speaking those mysteries, the reason you're edified is because you're beginning a process where the mind of Christ is going to be revealed in you as an individual. Prophecy is collectively. Praying in tongues edifies you because the mind of Christ, the mysteries of Christ, will be revealed in you as an individual. So a man can't, he cannot. And God set this up in such a way that yes, it benefits you to lock yourself up in the prayer closet. Yes, yes, yes. It benefits you to get your mind quiet and lay there in his presence and pray in tongues. Yes, yes, yes. But it also benefits you if you can do it while you're running about your business and driving your car. If you have the kind of job where you can pray under your breath hour after hour, it benefits you. He left your brain out for a reason. Because he's building an edification to invade your soul against the day that the mysteries of Christ in you, through you, to you, the hope of glory, is going to be understood by you. The day you decide to pray very much at all, you've decided to walk in the classroom of the Holy Ghost and sit down. And he becomes the minister of your understanding. He becomes the minister of wisdom to you, of divine insight. He becomes the minister of the understanding of the mysteries in you, the hope of glory. Well, my friend, when the Holy Ghost began to teach me what I could do, the laws that govern the meditation of his word. When he began to teach me what I could do to assist the Holy Spirit in my transformation. See, 
the more I pray in the Holy Ghost, the more that new nature seems to invade my soul and the more intense my hunger becomes. And that's when I want to give myself any way I can to God. And Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Spirit and life. If you're looking for the life of God, you can find it in his words. If you want to transform to the Holy Spirit and what he said, Jesus said, my words, they are spirit. You don't have to look any further for instructions to transform to. And I found out then, there were certain laws that I could give myself to in the meditation of his word that would assist in the transformation of my soul. When I found out how the soul worked, you talk about speeding, and I mean speeding the process of God up on the inside of me. People, why do you think a child by the age of five can assimilate two or three languages? Did you know most of you out here have assimilated two languages? Not just one, two. And when you speak them, you don't have to give any thought to it. Unless you're, you know, getting up and... <laughs> how, how many's experienced age? And you, uh, <laughs> sometimes you know what you want to say because it's in there, but the words won't come. You know, I'm not, well, I, I'm not. But generally, you don't have to think. When you want to say something, it just flows out. It's just translated instantly. Out of your heart, you just say it. Whole sentences, great exotic speeches. <laughs> I used to think I only know one language, but I don't. I know two. In fact, I know three. And one of them doesn't require my mind, so I don't count that one, which is tongues. You know, I pray in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying, so I don't count that language as a language I, I knew by my intellect. But I know two languages by my intellect. What, what brother Robeson? Portuguese? No. I know a little bit. No, I only speak basically one English, and if you'd listen to teachers, they say I have problems with that one. <laughs> But if you're subject to it, you can assimilate two or three languages by the time you're five years old and speak them all fluently. And you, you didn't even try to do it. In fact, you didn't even know you did it. Just when you become a teenager, you fluently spoke three or four languages and didn't even know how you did it. You know, later on, when we'd only use one attribute of the soul, which is the intellect, that's what we try to, to learn entire languages with. We'll take another language in school. And people, there's three other attributes to your soul. By the time we get done teaching you, there's a way to meditate his word for you assimilate it. It's not just a mental ascension. You give yourself to it and assimilate it where it becomes part of you and you become part of it, see? So when we try to learn a new language, generally by the time we reach high school and they have a class which is optional that we can take like Spanish, the way we try to learn that language is by mentally comparing a word of Spanish
particular word of English. You're only using one attribute of the soul. You know, that assimilation will be very slow and it'll be in a realm where you'll forget it all the time because it's stored in, in the lightest place in you for recall that it can be stored in. So we're trying to learn Portuguese or something. Obrigado. Obrigado. Thank you, thank you. Obrigado. Thank you. Obrigado. Thank you. Obrigado, senora. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Obrigado. And when you get there and you're embarrassed, because somebody will come up and say something, you'll say, Obrigado. And then they come out with all the rest of Portuguese, and you say, Excuse me. <laughs> I can't speak it. I admit it. Un poco Portuguese. Just enough to get myself in trouble. But in the soul we have our mind, we have our will, we have our intellect, we have our emotions, and emotions is one of the most powerful transforming attributes of the soul and however it generally hangs on the longest it's usually the one that empowers the strongholds in a person's life that are last to go but I can tell you this if you learn to meditate his word by using all the attributes of the soul you'll go from intellectually giving yourself to it consenting to it just with the intellect to giving yourself completely to it and assimilating the thing. And I mean assimilating. So here I'm trying to just use my intellect to learn this language. I can't. But the soul's created by God to transform you basically to what you give it to the most. You know how sick I felt? The only reason that I wasn't a multimillionaire by the time I was 30 because I I didn't think like one. I was never transformed to think like one. I was never transformed to be a millionaire before I became a millionaire. Therefore, I couldn't be a millionaire because I wasn't a millionaire before I became a millionaire. You become a millionaire before you become a millionaire. And most of us aren't millionaires because we live in strongholds that don't allow us to be one. And those strongholds that you pull down from the soul, they're every bit as, as strong as prison bars. You could escape from Leavenworth faster than you can escape the prison of your soul when you've been raised in a stronghold, something that has to be pulled down before you can be transformed or changed. When I found out a lot of what I was, a lot of what I wanted to be went against the Word of God. And the Holy Ghost began to teach me how this transformation took place. I tell you what, man, I found out how to give myself to the Word of God to equip myself for meditation. I mean the kind when the Holy Spirit is able to rise up from my spirit and grab hold of what I have transformed my soul to. 
And when he grabs a hold of what I transform my soul to, and the Spirit comes with that spiritual insight and wisdom and brings the two together, that's where his power comes from. Even at your age, you could assimilate a new language very quickly. All we would have to do is fly you over a remote Brazilian village with no English-speaking people in it and throw you out and pick you up in two or three years. <laughs> I guarantee you, your soul has the power to transform you to Portuguese. It has the power to transform you to where you don't even have to think and translate the language in your mind. When people pause and think a language out, that means they have to translate it from English to Portuguese or Portuguese to English before they speak it. And they don't think in Portuguese. They think, hello, then it has to be obrigado. Then you'll say a statement, how are you doing? Then they have to think of the translation instead of it being spontaneous. When your soul assimilates something, that's including the Word of God, then you don't have to stop and think what God would say about this. It becomes spontaneous because you're reaching a state where it becomes part of you. You become part of it. Jesus said, if my Word lives in you, you abide in me. Ask what you will and it shall be done. Hallelujah. And so I, I've taught a course to the preachers generally on meditation. But I've taught them more on the line how to extract the revelation and how to store it in their spirit so that they could pick it up and deliver it again. But see, a lot of you don't preach. So I know what he wants me to teach. He wants me to teach you how to assimilate. He wants me to teach you how that you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your transformation where you can supply him at the cooperation of your soul everything that he needs as he works through that new nature in your spirit to totally and I mean absolutely transform you to what the word of God says that you are but I'm talking about giving yourself to it see this is one of the reasons when, when somebody comes to me, I usually don't come to them and, and volunteer a lot of it because usually, usually a person has to be pretty hungry to abide what I'm teaching you right now. But when somebody does come and they've found their call or they're just hungry for the word and they want to know, you know, what steps, what steps would you take in meditation, you know, to, to equip me for this call? And I know some of you in here are called to the Stuart ministry, which is what I've discovered now that helps is. Helps in governments, helps is the Stuart ministry. He's the man that's called to handle and make God's money. God can trust him with billions. It's a call I didn't know much about. I'm finding out more and more about it now. But recently there's been some that truly believe in these last days they've received that call. And so they, they want to begin the process 
of, of their transformation to what the Word of God says about them and about that call. And so what I'll usually do, because some of the best equipping in the world for the soul, if you really believe you're called to handle massive amounts of money, is I, I get them to read, first of all. See, and these are just some of the first steps, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. I'll get them to go into uh, the book of Proverbs. It's, it's a good starting book, the book of Proverbs. And I'll have them read it 50 times. And I'll make them do it deliberately and precisely. I want them to understand every word that they read. And if they want to follow what I teach them closely, this is what I make them do. If they come across a word they don't understand, that's fine. You know, write your words down and go, go find out what they mean and what they mean in that verse. Because it's hard to meditate. On some different verses, if you don't know what a single word in that verse means. So this is the first step in equipping them for their calling. Because whether you succeed or not in your calling is whether or not you can become in that calling what he said that you are. There's a whole 66 books out there for you. But to get you jump started in your calling, you'll find out what your calling is by praying extensively in the Holy Ghost then to jump start you for the equipping for that call. See, this is what I'm doing now, is showing you how you can assist the Holy Spirit to your transformation to the Word. So generally for that gift, and there's other gifts I could steer you, you know, whatever your calling is. But the ministry of the steward, the ministry of help, a man called to make and handle God's money. Can you prove to me that's Yes, sir, I could prove to you that's what he's talking about. And God started talking to me on it. It's the reason he could reveal it. It's because it was a mystery. He is able to reveal to me because of my foundation. There's a whole lot of things he can't talk to you about because you've not come to the place in the Word of God where you'd understand it. That's why if you let me help you learn how to meditate, then you can equip your gift and you can equip your calling. You can assist the Holy Ghost in your transformation. You can speed it up by four or five times. You can assimilate the Word, man. Oh, she becomes part of you. And the Holy Ghost will use what your soul assimilated to teach you day and night, man. You'll become a walking revelation spouting Bible. So I said, I want you to take the book of Proverbs. I want you to learn how to read it deliberately and precisely. That is every verse. I want you to acknowledge the content of every verse. You don't have to know all of what it means, but I want you to be able to acknowledge the content of it before you go on to the next one. Acknowledge what you read. When you acknowledge what you read in that verse, go on to the next one. Now myself, I've trained myself. It was hard to do it first, but you can do it. I've trained myself to pray under my breath in the Holy Ghost while I'm reading deliberately, precisely, 
He said, my spirit's praying. At that point, my understanding is unfruitful, which simply means I don't know what I'm saying in the tongue at that moment. The day will come when I will. But right now, my mind's not being guided or used by the Holy Spirit to understand anything, certain revelation. So I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it for these next few hours to the Word of God. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, my old head will start. My head will start nodding off because of the hours I put in. I'll just, I'll just lay back, you know, and let that, that thing creep over my soul and fall asleep for about 15 minutes. And then I'm okay. I go back. Or jump up and do some jumping jacks and get the oxygen to my brain. See, and I can tell you what, why you have to sleep. You have to sleep because that's the time that your mind is not serving you actively in processing things that is being fed in the simulation of a thing by your soul. You have to go to sleep because your mind has to be freed to do something. If you don't think it doesn't work at night, it works at night. And what it does is it separates things to short-term and long-term memory. It sorts your mind out. That's why if you keep a person awake long enough, they'll go crazy. It cannot take it because your mind has to shut down. It has to have its own time to sort everything out. What you receive, what's happened to you, so it'll store things in short-term memory, things important in long-term memory, so that you can keep functioning with everything that comes at you during the day. Your batteries get recharged at night, and it sorts everything out, so as a human being that you can live with it. So that's why you need rest, my friend. If you brag about, I just don't need much rest. Hey, you know, maybe you got so much peace, you don't need much sorting. <laughs> <laughs> your mind the assimilation of your soul is, is quite the complicated thing it's created for your survival it'll assimilate everything around you if you need to learn the language you'll learn the language if you're in a college atmosphere you'll assimilate that no matter where they send you or what you do it will assimilate your surroundings for survival's sake and what would happen to you if you found out how to present the Word of God to your soul in such a way that it would assimilate it the way it assimilates everything else. <laughs> so these stewards, you know, this, this is what, and I'll, I'll get to this in a moment. And these little kids and come up speak two languages, Portuguese and English. I mean, here they are, five or six years old in Brazil. I'm thinking, I'm an adult, and they can learn one like that, and I can't learn it hardly. All that ability, and they didn't even try. I mean, what would happen if we learned how this worked? So I've developed to pray in tongues while I'm doing it. Because I think sometimes, sometimes when my heart goes over to a section and I so desire to know what it means, that the Holy Ghost responds and begins to pray that mystery out. And God gives it to me. It's incredible. But I say, for the book of Proverbs, for the upcoming stewards. And I want you to read every verse deliberately and precisely without going on to the next one until you have acknowledged in yourself that you've read the last one. 
sometimes I will find myself eight, nine, ten verses down and don't remember a single thing that I read. The way I broke myself of that is going back up to the last verse I left off on. I pick that one back up and I read it. The last one that I remember that I read that jogs my memory. Yes, I remember deliberately assenting to what this verse said. And then I'll go on to the next one. And on to the next one. After a while, I trained myself. Every time that I left a verse behind, I found out I could read while I was solving some kind of problem somewhere. Not even being paying attention to what I was reading. I said, what good is this doing me? So I'd back up until finally, after I, after I corrected myself two or three hundred times, I got where I could stick with it. Pray in tongues and, and read that verse over and over and over. And so then I would not let them stop, will not let them stop. I mean, you can do anything you want, you know, but if you're not going to do what I ask you, why come back a second time? You're not going to come back and do what I teach you if I come back a second time. Oh. Hallelujah. You know, if you say, oh, I don't think this is going to work, then don't do it. Hallelujah. What do you think, Brother Roberson? Man, I know. I don't think. So I make them read it. They can study anywhere else in the Word of God if they like. You know, they can do anything they want. But in that book, in that book, I want them to simulate it. So I make them read it 50 times. 50 times without stopping and doing any studies, only finding out what words mean so they'll understand at least the content of the verse. 50 times without stopping. 50 times. I, I thought, well, I, when I first began to do it, I thought I'll just take a bag of beans Every time I read it once, I move the one bean to the other pile, you know. But then I carried my Bible with me, so hang the bean bag, you know. That don't work. So at the front of Proverbs, and I started marking that five system, you know. One, two, three, four, five. But what I did is because I, I'd never stop unless I read at least half of Proverbs. I'd read at least half and I'd take a good hour the way I did it a good hour and so if I stopped I wouldn't stop before that but if I did what I would do is that last line I'd go one, two, three and, and the one I was going to mark that day if I only finished a third of the book I'd put the line a third of the way down if I did a half of the book I'd put a line half the way down you know if it's the fourth, fifth time you've done it one, two, three, four, five and you read half of it the line goes halfway down. So if I read three quarters, then I read the line three quarters of the way down. Then I would know just by going to the front of Proverbs which chapter approximately to go back to and resume. So I read it 50 times. This is how he taught me. When he first began to teach me to do this, I thought, what are you doing? And little did I know God was charging my battery he was storing information in me all against the assimilation of it. Fifty times, and this one person I was talking to lately, they says, oh God, I didn't know basically how much I'd assimilated. 
because somebody will say something and all of a sudden all this comes from somewhere and a whole teaching comes out on it and I don't even know how I knew it. I do. You're simulating it like you assimilate a language because until you assimilate a language you're not going to speak it good because somebody will come and say things. Emotions taught you the language. Your mind taught you it. Situations you couldn't get out of taught it. Everything taught it until it became part of you. And that's the same way. And your, your teaching time is connected with life. The assimilation of Proverbs, part of it comes when it needs to spring forward and teach you about entire situations that are coming your way in business decisions. That's when the assimilation of it becomes complete. When he takes it from here and there and teaches it to you in real life situations, you no longer have to commit it to your intellect because he's coming forward to solve a crisis, man. And that's when it becomes part of you. And then this person asked me, what next? <laughs> and after they read it 50 times, they, they didn't feel probably a whole lot like going back and doing lots of word studies, you know, chapter. They said, what's next? And I, I prayed about it, you know, what's next? And what God gave me to give them was John. Little John 1, 2, and 3. I said, that's the next you need to simulate. And of course, I can tell you why. There's all three places that he mentioned the stewardship gift. A man that can handle all the money God can give him for the kingdom. Of course, that has to do with every gift, and in particular this one. In Romans 12, when he called it the simplicity of giving, and the next was government, he that ruleth with diligence. But then he says, overcome evil with good. That's how he ended the chapter. And of course, 1 Corinthians 12, where it's listed, apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, healings, helps, governments, and then the diversities of tongues. And immediately it fades into 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, when he talks about agape love. So there's your transformation to love again. If that's not enough, Ephesians 4, when he lists the callings, when he ascended on high, and he, he gives their place in the body, and he says, so that it can increase itself in the edifying of itself in what? Love. So after that, the next thing a person will have to assimilate is the love of God. Because, boy, if you're going to handle enough power to literally destroy people's lives. If you're not transformed thoroughly to the love of God, God can't trust you with 50 tons of TNT. That's what you get. You can just destroy people all day long. Or you can bring people life all day long, depending which side of your nature won. <laughs> so that one was a hundred times. Why? Because we're equipping your soul to assist the Holy Spirit in the transformation to the Word of God by assimilating it. Yeah. And you please tell me how, Brother Roberson? Yes, sir. Or please tell me why. Yes, sir. Are you getting any good thing out of this? Just before I tell you why on this, 
just at the first of this year, God did something to me. He said, son, and as you've seen, I've been prophesying a lot more the whole service. Some of you recognize when I go into it. I usually come out front here and get lost in the Spirit and I don't get back to the Word of God. And I don't get back, per se, to break down chapter and verse. Almost like today, only it's different today. This is teaching. Hallelujah. But I don't get back to break down the chapters and things that I thought I was going to break down because suddenly the mind of Christ comes. I begin prophesying the whole service and usually the good shepherd is going after someone who needs a miracle, needs being destroyed by the devil or in some kind of situation and Jesus wants to minister. And so I slip into prophecy and prophesy the whole service. But recently he told me, he says, I want you to begin to give yourself to the word of God. He says, different. He says, but... He says, I want you to continually to go through it. He says, I want you to go through it. He says, continually on a consistent basis, time after time after time. He says, then I will give you books to go back and assimilate. But he says, I want you to keep going through it time after time after time. Because he says, eventually, I want to prophesy my mind in every book to the people. He says, and I want to be able to come on you and pull it up and do it as I move. He said, you don't know how much you lose when you stop and do intellectual little breakdown and speeches to what my mind and the content of what's really in that book. So he told me, simulate it, son. The power lives there. So that's what's been coming more and more lately, my friends. When we preached praying a lot in the early days to our preachers, they all adopted the praying like we taught. And Hey, when we teach you the resistance to the transformation, you'll understand what happens to people because that's a part of meditation. There's somebody out there that won't let you meditate. They won't let you pray in the Holy Ghost. I can tell you right now, you have to be two times strong as the average Christian to survive steady prayer. You'll find yourself taken out real slick and not even know what will happen to you. Much less when you add all this meditation, my friend, you, you become very, very, very dangerous. At that time, I didn't understand. I was afraid in those days that I couldn't feed my family. I was afraid I'd fail. I locked myself up and prayed as a survival tactic. I only did it to try to please God to give him a legal right to try to bless me. I didn't know what it would do. So when things got worse, I knew one thing. He sent me full time because of a vision and he wasn't going to send me back. I didn't choose the time I went full time. God opened me up to a vision and said, you're going to follow me now. I had three little kids. I had to follow him. I had basically nowhere to preach or nothing. I had to follow him. I was afraid not to pray. It wasn't that hell didn't stack up on me. I just wondered if everybody went through what I went through. I had to pray. I didn't know how. I couldn't go back. I didn't have nothing to go back to. I had nothing to fall into but a pit. I had to pray. I didn't know what it would do to me. I prayed and I only prayed in tongues to survive the extended times in the closet. Mm. I didn't know what it would do to me. Bless God for that day. 
Well, many of them began to pray. Well, a lot of them, I think out of the 43 ministries that I had ordained, maybe three or four of them survived. The rest of them went to something else, backslid, or quit preaching. And I called a preacher's conference and they all come together. And when I listened to them talk and I, I saw what happened to them and I preached, I preached about Satan's war machine. They become horror stricken and turned just real peakety, man. I, I looked at, I scared some of them so bad they left and wouldn't come back. I looked at that bunch. It put such a godly, reverent, holy fear into me that I came home from organ shaking. I was shaking. I said, I didn't know the devil was so afraid of this. I had no idea. And it, and it caused a, a consecration to come in my heart deeper. Deeper. But he came and and started destroying people. And uh, we started losing them. And Augie, we lost Augie. He had every reason in the natural to turn on, on the faith move and on the praying that we was teaching. He had every reason, although we trained him and put him full time. So he went from bad to worse, and he had started having mental breakdowns. And 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 his wife, she had to fight with him, and and she started coming under the torment. He finally moved off to India, and just sat there, and he didn't even know how to survive. He was in such. At times, he said, "I threw my Bible against the wall and screamed at God, where are you?'" He wrote long extended letters to people he got turned on to faith to deny it again, to get them out of it. You know, saying that stuff wasn't true, it doesn't work. Those years he hid from me. He hid. Then he called me up one day. And he wept and I said, come home, come home, Augie, come on. He just began to turn back to faith and come back before that crisis happened. And so when I asked him, I said, well, Augie, what stopped you from going crazy? What finally stopped you? Are you ready for this? Augie says, I got where I couldn't trust anybody. I didn't know where to go get my food from. I was, I was a wreck. Nothing was real. I said, I know that spirit, Augie. I sat him down, taught him all about Satan's war machine, who did it to him, what it was. He's, he's out of it now. He's back. Hallelujah. I said, what did you do? He says, I could trust no man. So what did you do? He said, I got my Bible and I read it. For six hours a day, minimum. He said, I read the entire Old and New Testament all the way through every two weeks everything God said pertinent to mankind passed through Augie every two weeks for a year you got mental problems let me tell you one step out of it 
one step out of mental problems is to continually read the Word of God out loud. You need to replace your thoughts with His out loud. If you speak it out loud, you're adding one more attribute to the assimilation of the Word of God. You're recording it in the soundtracks as well as the visual. I said, you read it? Augie, would you please show me how you did it? I want to know everything about it. He said, there's a couch. And he showed me the couch in India at his house. And he'd come out in the front room. Everybody else is sleeping. Not sleeping. Other parts of the house cooking, doing that. But he'd get real early. He'd come out. He got down on his knees. It's just to keep him going, you know, keep you. He'd put the Bible in front of him like this. He'd kneel down in front of it. He'd just read page after page after page. And I said, Augie, what'd you do when you got to the real, you know, boring parts about the exact precise measurements for this and for that? And he says, I just worship God and thought if he cared that much about detail, he cared that much about detail in my life. And that's right. See, you hold the canon of the scripture, every thought in it, he thought you needed to know. It's yours. Before this teachings are over, I want to teach you, you know, about your covenant and, and their covenant. And why you have something that's more precious than any old saint dreamed. Please, don't throw it away. Please. So should I kneel down in front of it and read the six hours? Just read it hour after hour. Hour after hour. Have you ever heard Augie teach? No man should be able to pull from that many places in the Word of God. Whereas in my training, God wouldn't hardly even let me go back and look at the old covenant until I had assimilated the new covenant sufficiently so I wouldn't get in the old and try to act like the old saints when I have a new covenant. Hallelujah. So that hour after hour after hour after hour, and that's what stabilized Augie turned him back to the Word. He even wrote letters and apologized. He's got his foundation back. And now two or three, two months ago, he called me up and was chattering like a little kid. Maybe it was six weeks ago, maybe five. I don't know. Hey, you know, how do I know? I'm lost most of the time. Whole life is passing before me. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he was chattering like a little kid. And I said, Augie. He said, well, what's going on, Augie? He says, I had a visitation. He says, I've known you, you know, for 23 years, 23 and a half years. I went and got a bunch of your tapes and was riding to Texas to listen to them. And God came in the car and I had a visitation. And my God, it dropped into my spirit. He says, I saw what happened to me. I was an idiot, wasn't I? I said, yes, you was. He says, how did I let the devil deceive me like that? 
I said, oh, he's a master at it again. You have to transform away from him. You have to transform away from him. You hear me? You can't find a vulnerable person standing there. He'll kill you. If you can get by with him. And he says, I, I went and I got more tapes. And I got more tapes. And he's so excited. He says, why couldn't I see this before? And folks, now, the delight of his day. The delight of his day is he hastens, he runs towards the prayer closet when he gets to spend those six hours with God praying in tongues. He said, my God, tell me, shake me, man, slap me, tell me, why did I give it up? Well, living on this side, how can I tell you? Hallelujah! You should see him now. He's so happy. Hallelujah. So precisely and deliberately 50 times. After the 50 times, you can go back and do word chapter studies, breakdown studies, reference studies. Do anything you want after 50 times. Because in that amount, now of course I know, generally I meditate subjects. I don't try to read a book, you know, like Isaiah or something, a hundred times before I do anything about it. But much of the smaller books that are just one subject, I will. I'll assimilate the whole book instead of a subject. And let me show you why. And then we'll stop for tonight. Hallelujah. Psalms 1 and 1 Blessed is the man Oh this is good stuff I'll just run through it quickly Blessed is the man This man's blessed Number one He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly Nor standeth or does things the way sinners do He's blessed because he doesn't take his counsel from the world. He doesn't do things the way sinners do. He standeth in the way of sinners, not this man. Nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't enter into that kind of uh, strife and malice and hatred and scorn and fighting and bickering. You have to stay out of that, that counsel. Stay, run, run. You cut your revelation off. He says, but this, this man, his delight is in the word or the law of God, of the Lord, and in his law, does he meditate how much? How much? Day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Now let's get the comparison here. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. We're talking the Holy Ghost now. We're talking about that river that feeds your leaves when there's drought in the land. As your roots sank deep, my God, they, they found the rivers. Your, your tree's going to bear fruit every due season now because your meditational root system has found the water. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season and his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever this tree does bears fruit. He prospers. 
Or we wouldn't have to say, we could just quote that and stop right there. This tree, because the benefit of a meditator is his root system will sink into the rivers of living water and that's where he draws his life from. Those leaves are now being fed by the rivers. So it doesn't matter the hot autumn winds that blast the tree. It really doesn't matter. This tree is not going to die. This tree, its next due season, is going to produce a harvest. Because this tree is blessed. And why is this tree blessed? Because this blessed man of God, this blessed woman of God, refuses to take her counsel from the world anymore. She refuses to stand or do things the way sinners do. And she or he has cut herself off from the scornful. I'll not sit in the seat of judgment and scorn and malice and strife. I will not. I love revelation knowledge too much to have my stream choked off. So what did he say? If I'm not going to take my counsel from the world, not going to do things the way sinners do, and I'm going to clear myself from strife. Then my next step is to delight myself in the Word, meditate day and night. Why? 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 Well, if I'm not going to get my counsel from the world, I'm going to have to get it from somewhere. I'm going to have to take it from somewhere. I'm not going to take it from the world. I'm going to have to get it from somewhere. His delight is what? And in it, does he meditate how much? That one statement there, here I was meditating on meditation. <laughs> that one statement, he meditates day and night, made me know. It started opening my channel up to teach me what meditation was. See, I can tell you what it is by telling you what it is not. It's not reading, it's not studying, and it's not memorization. All these things assist meditation. They do not replace it. And that was how he got this over to me. They don't replace it because I cannot do it day and night. I can't read day and night. I can't study day and night. I can't memorize day and night. But I can meditate day and night. All those things do is assist your meditation. That's why as much as with that attribute of the soul, by causing you to deliberately give yourself to the Word of God 50 times like that, you're activating a process by which you can assimilate the Word of God. You're taking the first step. You're taking the first step in assisting you in the meditation of the Word day and night. Why? How, Brother Roberson? How? Because I am equipping my spirit for meditating day and night, day and night, day and night, by assimilating the Word of God that I'm supposed to transform to. And when I assimilate that Word, I have equipped the Holy Spirit with what He needs to rise up anytime, anywhere, in meditation, and transform me to the meaning of what that Word says. Hallelujah. I am equipping myself for day and night meditation. Now, why won't you let me stop and do study this chapter for two or three weeks and then study the next one? Because you're not equipped. 
Where do you think false doctrine comes from? Only by picking their letters apart. See, there isn't a lot of danger of doing that if you read it 50 times deliberately and precisely while you were praying in tongues because there might be in the 24th and 25th chapter some conclusion thoughts that would have opened up the 7th and 8th and 9th chapter but would you know that no you wouldn't know that because you didn't assimilate the book but because you assimilated the book oh you're making the job of the Holy Spirit so much easier in your meditation because now you have equipped him that if there's any information that he needs from anywhere else in that book he can pull it together pull that one scripture to the forefront or that chapter and just explode the revelation of it all through your little old understanding you have just given him what he needs you didn't have to try it comes and when you're testifying to somebody where do you think the little information you do know comes from when you lay into them God will anoint anything that will testify to anybody. You only know about eight verses, but my God, the Holy Verse is quickening anything you've ever heard. He's right there at your defense. You take a few verses, and when it's done, you're thinking, by God, where did I read that? I didn't know I read that. Then you have to go get a, and to look up the verse. Say, Boy, that was a good verse. You heard it somewhere. <laughs> Boy, did it jump out, and you let them have it. I, I didn't know I knew all that. <clears throat> hey, just wait till you discover the volumes of information and the power of transformation when you learn how to assimilate the mind of Christ in each of those books. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you've then assimilated entire books, then they will be keys to assimilating other entire books. Man, I know what this means now because Paul finished this one and this book over here. You got it right. Hallelujah. No, sir, I can't meditate. You know, I can't study, memorize day and night, day and night. But I can meditate day and night because I'm equipping my spirit for meditation. I'm assimilating. Just like I assimilate a language. He'll take life situations and every emotional thing, every business problem, everything you run into, he'll use all of them to teach you all of those chapters that you really didn't know that you were assimilating until it's time and that he'll use that situation to teach you just like in Portuguese you see some little girl running down towards the riverbank and you've got to yell at her to come back. That emotional, emotional crisis will cause you to want to reach in for that language so bad and when you start getting the language that way, you'll get the language. Let's, let's stop right here then or else I have to go into a whole number of segment. Hallelujah. That's, 
These are some of the principles I broke some of the most difficult verses in the entire Word of God based on. Difficult ones. My God, don't know how many times I passed through Luke 16 on that marriage verse. I can tell you right now, I wasn't even looking at the verses that I can remember correctly. The Holy Ghost was able to kick in and the revelation danced in my spirit. I I felt like I landed on the moon. Here's a verse we just couldn't understand because it didn't leave the clause of fornication. He puts away his wife, marries another, commits adultery. He marries her to put away from her husband, commits adultery. No ifs, buts, blacks, white, nothing, just not adultery. <laughs> and then when I, I simulated the chapter, this is what he was talking about. They were accusing Jesus of forsaking the law. He said, now, nah, that's impossible. For heaven and earth would have to pass for any tittle or crossing of the law had failed to come to pass because he that puts away his wife and marries another commits adultery. And that, those two statements, what he was saying was this. Israel, you're, you know you're married to God through the law, but that's okay because I'm God and I'm going to die. And when I die, it's going to widow you and free you to marry another. So to your accusation that I've forsaken the God of the fathers, I want you to know I'm going to die and the covenant's going to die with me and widow you from your marriage through the law and free you to marry another, even him who's risen from the dead. So in answer to your question. (laughs) Hallelujah. And by the time we're done with you, It'll make you wonder what's in the Word of God and where we've been now. Where have we been for God's sake? Statements like the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what what would be a law that governs sin and death? Well, we know that sin caused death and death was related to sin. Adam transgressed, it caused death. So what law governs it? This is what he was talking about in relationship with Romans 7. There was a law present with them. He says, the law of sin and death says, for an unregenerated man, when he tried to do good, evil was present with him, and he found out he couldn't do good. That was the law of sin and death. He says, I was alive without the law once. Law came, sin revived, and I died. He says, it's a law of sin. He says, God forbid, I had not known covetous that the law said, thou shalt not covet. A spiritually dead man doesn't know he's dead until God says, quit sinning. And he says, quit sinning. He finds out a donkey can't quit being a donkey. That's his nature to be a donkey. So what Paul was describing then when he graduated to Romans 8, he says, now, what's freed you from Romans 7 is the law of the spirit of life. It superseded the other law. You tried to keep it and couldn't because when you did good, evil was present with you. The motions of sin, which worked by the law, he says, they worked sin and death in me. Anyway, when you start assimilating, then he can work a verse in the seventh chapter. My God, man, he can work it with a verse in the second chapter. These things will start dancing in your understanding. For instance, when God approached Abraham, he says, and you believe that I can quicken the dead? And he says, yeah, I do. The word quicken is different resurrection. I heard that in the spirit. I'll tell you all I heard about it one day. He says, yes, I do. I believe you can quicken the dead. Quicken it usually refers to the human spirit. 
Resurrection refers to the flesh. They rose him from the dead, quickeneth. What he was saying, now look, Abraham, do you believe I can quicken the dead spirit? you believe I can take a dead spirit and bring it back to life? And what he was asking Abraham is, do you believe that I can resurrect Jesus? That's what he was saying. Do you believe I can quicken a dead spirit? He said, you believe you stand before him that quickeneth the dead? And he says, yeah, I do. And he says, okay. Then he says, I am calling those things that be not as though they are, as though they were. And so what he was saying, Abraham, do you believe? And he says, yes. He said, well, that's good because you believe I can raise Jesus even though your spirit is as dead as a doornail. You don't have my nature and you won't until the cross. <laughs> but you don't have my nature. He says, you're dead as a doornail, Abraham, but do you believe I can raise Jesus? you believe I can quicken the spirit? And he says, yes, I do. He says, good, then I'm calling them things that be not, which is your dead spirit. As though it was. And I'm putting righteousness onto your account. To be paid in full. See, and that was the shape they found the guy in the seventh chapter. Trying to keep the law. But he's spiritually dead. <laughs> he says, law, sin, God forbid. I'd not known covetous. And God come along and said, hey, dead man, quit coveting. He goes, I tried. <laughs> and I found that a law was present with me when I tried to do good, evil. He says, so then the good I do I could not, and the good I wanted to do, the evil I did that I didn't want to do, I ended up doing the good I would, I couldn't do. Who delivered me from this vile wretched man? I am, thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's therefore no more condemning sentence under the judicial system of the law can be carried out anymore, because I've been born again. Law, the spirit of life, has canceled the other one. No, sir, I'm not forced back into sin because I lost that nature. The law freed me. I can serve God now. What do you think he said Jesus received the Spirit without measure? Does that mean everybody in the Old Testament received him with measure? Yes, sir. He only came for purpose, pursuit, or plan of God, and he could only operate in their soul. He, Jesus was the last Adam. He was the first one since Adam to receive the Holy Spirit again. He received him without measure, which meant he'd come to stay with him. Everybody else, he came for a purpose or a plan and had to back off. That's why Jesus said, he's with you now, but in that day, he shall be in you. Why? Because you got born again. Just like Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit without measure. He didn't come just for a season to part a Red Sea or something. He moved in you, my friend. My God, you got what they dreamed to have. Now that you have that new nature, you have an ability to understand God. Don't throw it away. When you assist in the transformation of your soul, you and him become something to reckon with. And by the end of this generation, you'll be downright dangerous. You'll be dangerous, flat. You'll be so equipped. They want a sinner open his mouth. You'll land on him with glory and power and wisdom and life. Besides all that, since you wouldn't let me quit, God sent your personal teacher. Sent you a personal teacher. 
with the commission first and foremost to guide them into all truth in thy word John 17 said it's true you have a personal tutor who picked up to instruct and to teach that new nature that you've received from God because he can understand God so the Holy Ghost says whoo it is time that I move in become their personal tutor now, if I can just get them to meditate the word with their mind, then I can approach them with the understanding. By the time we unite in the middle, there'll be an understanding. Devil stomping, faith-filled, power-moving machine. You're going to depend on a peekity message some guy read out of a book? Let him give you his opinion? How do you know where he's been? Just eat the hay and spit the sticks out. I know that, say. My God, I know you have to spend your time, you know, all day long. I, I love that saying, and it sounds good. And if you know the difference, then you have to know more than the preacher. It wouldn't hurt you. If you know more than I do, I expect you to do more. Say, <laughs> so we just eat the hay and spit the sticks out. Now, wait a minute. I'm out there, you know, working all day long, selling insurance or something like that. And we're giving you an absorbent salary and a new van. If we're going to pay you, preacher, and give you a new car and a house to live in, all that kind of thing, so we can drag in after fighting the world for the church all week and drag in, then we have to guard against you. Give me my money back. Stand up, say you can pray too much in the Holy Ghost. I can tell you right now, if you're sitting in on prayer meetings that say that, I'd protect my spirit and quit. The most valuable thing you have is your transformation to God. Why do you let somebody fool with that? Hallelujah. No, sir. Don't take my word from me. It's, it's my life. It's what God wants me to be and where he wants me to go. No, sir. Give yourself to it. Take the time you need you just can't live off of us dealing with an issue a couple of times a week. To be honest with you, that's why I deal so much with your personal relationship with God and what you can do to improve it because I know, I know we can't give you enough word in do's and don'ts and opinions to help you enough. We don't have enough time. Hallelujah.